Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, And if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could join us. Um, This week we are diving into week five of a six-week series on prayer and lament. And uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that this uh, blesses you and encourages you and also challenges you as you move forward, as we, as the body of Christ, move forward in all the things that Jesus is calling us into. So with that, here's Landon Myers. Oh, good morning. If you are uh, new with us, my name is Landon, and I uh, get to be one of the, the team members here. And we are in our uh, fifth of six weeks in what we call a practice. We've done three weeks on prayer, and then now we've transitioned to a really specific type of prayer, which is lament. And it's a type of prayer that is likely pretty unfamiliar, but something that I think is really, really crucial to how we practice following Jesus together. And so uh, I look forward to uh, continuing this discussion on lament. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 77, uh, sort of in the middle-ish of your Bible. Psalm 77, that's where we'll spend most of our time uh, this morning. As you're you're turning there, I kind of want to set the stage with this idea of expectations. In life, regardless what kind of sphere of life we're talking about, expectations are are really meaningful. And when expectations go unmet or we're surprised in some form or fashion, usually it's not healthy or good. It often can be painful and cause trouble. It wasn't uh, that long ago when my wife and I went on a date and I had no idea that it would unexpectedly be one of the, the times I filled my wife with so much joy. She was just overwhelmed with happiness. And we went on this date, we went to dinner, and that was good. And then we went to see a, a friend's theater production they were in, this, this play locally. And so we went to this smaller little theater. And I don't really know why, but somehow genetically in my blood, I just have to show up two minutes late to everything. I've tried to fix it, just hasn't happened yet. So. Per usual, I was uh, two minutes late. It was my fault. It always is if we're ever late to be somewhere with you. It's not her fault. It's mine. And we showed up late. That's not good, though, when it's pitch black in a theater. What's even worse is the combination of my oftentimes ignorant confidence and my tardiness. So we're late to this theater, and we're at the point where you show up and it's totally pitch black and silent. I found enough light to see the sign that we were in the right place, and then there was only one door, so I figured, you know, they're just at that dark moment. This is perfect. No one will even know we're late. We'll just slip right in. It'll be good. That's what I expected, and so I looked at that one door, and I said, come on, babe, and she kind of stood back because she's a little smarter than me, and I walked confidently up to the door and through the door, and then I went to take a step, and there was nothing to step on. And so I tumbled, I don't know how many steps, and it was silence until I got to the bottom of those steps because I hit like a mop and a broom or something else. And all of a sudden, it was not silent. So I kind of just laid there a minute and then got back up. And I've never seen my wife so happy. Like, I, I brought her a lot of joy. I, I think it was kind of payback, though, because... We've been married a while now, and while we were still dating, we were dating in high school, 
I think she thought I'd either get into land development like my dad or, or be a lawyer. Those were the two things I was most interested in at that point, but I'm here, and so I'm a pastor. She's still trying to figure out what happened. There was this whole bait and switch thing. It was not what she expected. Expectations, though, really, in your marriage, if you think one spouse has a certain role and responsibilities and they don't meet those, that's going to lead to some conflict for sure. If you're in a, a business partnership and there's a discussion about uh, authority and responsibility and roles played and those expectations aren't met, that's not going to go well. Oftentimes, kids get really confused about expectations, and sometimes that doesn't go well. You've known the, the type of situations, and it's, it's no different when it comes to our following of Jesus. I think oftentimes, as we follow Jesus, there's expectations we have that are really misguided. And one of those, not for everybody in this room, but for many of us, has to do with suffering. And so I'll get right to the point here. As followers of Jesus, we would be utterly foolish to not expect suffering, to not expect hardship and pain. And if we are foolish enough to ignore that or pretend as if that's not the case, it's only going to hurt more and be harder and more challenging to recover from. Now, I'm not just trying to be the bearer of bad news, but it's just a reality. And I'll, I'll share this as a side note. One of the most harmful things that has happened in Christian circles and in churches and when, is when somebody communicates or teaches a type of theology where you're told that the suffering you're enduring or someone you know is enduring is because of sin in their lives. Hear me on this if that is you. You need to stop. Not because I said so, but there is one people group that Jesus reserves an almost violent type of teaching for, and it's people that reflect the love of the Father poorly, because that's just making it about us when it's not. Yes, there's sin in this world. There's real brokenness. There's my sin and your sin and generic sin. Sin is like this cancerous disease, and it causes brokenness. And so that means that we, like anybody else, face brokenness and pain and suffering. Not necessarily more, not necessarily less, but the same. But the difference is that we get to go through it with Jesus and with one another. And so recognizing uh, that expectation that we need to have, here's the, the main point uh, for this morning. Biblically, God not only permits but he invites. It's an important distinguishment. He not only permits, he not only allows, but he even desires and invites for us to be painfully honest as our first step towards trusting his promises. That's what lament is about. God not only permits and allows, but he invites us to be wholly honest with him. Whatever we're feeling, whatever questions we're asking, even if, maybe especially if, it's even accusing him in some way. Our God, here's a, a beautiful little secret. He's big enough to handle our questions. He's not worried about any of them. He's big enough even to handle our insults. He can take that too. And so he not only allows, but he invites us to walk up, throwing punches and questions and whatever is there. And he can hold it and he can handle it and he will guide us through it. 
Recognizing uh, lament for, for many of us is a really foreign concept. Uh, I want to spend just a moment hitting four bullet points from, from this book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. Uh, the, the booklets that we have for you in your practice groups, the lament half was largely influenced uh, and, and cites a lot of this book. It's for sale in the donut area because donuts and books go together. Uh, I highly recommend it. It is a really, really influential and, and good read, and we'll talk about a lot of what Mark says in that book this morning. But four things. Ron kind of built a foundation for us last week that lament is grieving as God wills for us to grieve. It's grieving in a way that he leads. And so four things that I think matter significantly from this book. He says this, Christians affirm that the world is broken, God is powerful, and he will be faithful. Notice that word and. He does not say but. It's and. And one of the most significant things we're going to talk about this morning, one of the most significant lies of Satan, is that there's a dichotomy and these things cannot all be true. We affirm that the world is broken. Whoops, if we can go back to that, that'd be great. The world is broken, God is powerful, and he will be faithful. Those are all true at the same time. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and God's promise. Continues to, to share a few more helpful things. Lament is prayer and pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer that has motion. It's a, a starting point that guides us and moves us towards trusting Jesus. It doesn't leave us stagnant. Lament is the path from heartbreak to hope. There's steps we can walk from heartbreak to hope. And prayers of lament lead us in that pathway. Oftentimes, and we'll talk about this uh, this morning, we try to skip steps. We want to fast forward and just go directly from pain to God's restoration. And, and that's actually going to skip steps of healing that are necessary. It's this path from heartbreak to hope. Then lastly, you might think lament is the opposite of praise. It is not. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. We just sang a song that referred to praising all the day long. That isn't just referring to happy, clappy, worship, praise music. Sometimes praise is lament. Sometimes praise is agonizing through the emotion and hardship as we're learning to trust him. And that's what lament means in this context. Um, as Jeremy Albright, who was up just a moment ago, and I were working on uh, the images for this booklet, we were having trouble finding the right images. And so we decided, you know what, we're just going to collaborate. We'll knock it down in like a quick 30-minute meeting. We were upstairs in one of the back rooms. And so uh, we, I don't know, he had some site to, to find the, the right images on. And so we were searching. And literally, I kid you not, the words we were typing into this search were sad people. <laughs> Couldn't come up with the right images. So I'm like, okay, let's try mourning. Nothing. Let's get a little bit further in this. Crying people, depression, depressed people, sad faces. I kid you not, 75% of the time, do you know what came up when you press enter with any of those words? People laughing. I'm dead serious. And that's really fascinating, actually, because I think it's 
kind of mind-blowingly accurate to how we approach hardship and pain in our culture, and maybe personally in our lives. I would even say sometimes this is how we approach pain and brokenness, and therefore lament personally as we follow Jesus. We pretend that it doesn't exist. Or we try to skip steps on the pathway from pain to God's promise, and so we go, okay, that's real. I acknowledged it. Let's move on now. And we try to just take a direct flight real quick, and it doesn't work that way. It's, it was really interesting to me. It was kind of this sign and symbolism that we have no idea how to process hardship and pain and brokenness. And lament is this language of prayer God has given for us to do that because we have to expect there will be pain and brokenness and suffering. What I, uh, I love about the scriptures is that, again, God invites us to do this honestly. In Psalm 77, we get to kind of, from a distance, witness and study the journey that this psalmist was taking through hardship and pain and brokenness. I want to show you, before we read it, one more image. <clears throat> this is an illustration just of how this journey works. Like I said, it's not a direct flight. It's not from point A to point B. In one quick line, you can't skip steps. The the, the the journey from pain to God's promises and restoration loops. And we take a couple steps forward and then some back. And then maybe a couple steps back and only one forward. And some days it feels like we're making progress and it makes sense and we understand. And other days, uh, I don't know where God is or what he's doing or why he would allow this. But one day, and this is key, one day if you're following Jesus, every single one of us will get to put on repeat this phrase, once again, God was faithful. There will be cycles, steps forward, steps backward, but if we're following Jesus, every single one of us will say on repeat, once again, God was faithful. I may not feel that that's true. I might not agree with it in my heart and soul or mind at that moment, but we will all again say, once again, God was faithful when Jesus is leading. And so we'll see all three of these phases, the pain and brokenness, the gap, and God's restoration in Psalm 77. We'll begin by reading in verse 1. I cry aloud to God, the psalmist says, aloud to God and he will hear me. I love that in this moment he has confidence in God. You can hear it expressed. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. He's approaching things the right way, doing the good Christian things and praying, seeking God. And then it all changes. I refused to be comforted. I think of God, I groan, I meditate, my spirit becomes weak. Maybe you can relate to that at some point in your past. Maybe it's this moment, maybe it's a moment in the future. You, he now says to God, have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old, years Long past, that line really resonates. If you've been in a, a dark season, a moment of pain and suffering, sometimes all you can do to keep moving forward is reflect on a day that was better, a memory in the past of peace and hope and health because you don't know what that feels like anymore. And so you reflect. That's what the psalmist is doing here. I consider days of old, years long past. That night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. And listen to the brutal honesty of the questions that the psalmist approaches God with. Will the Lord reject forever? 
and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? It's going, God, where are you? God, why are you causing this? Or depending on your theology, God, why are you allowing this? What is happening? Are you deaf? Do you not hear? Do you not care? What is going on? Because it doesn't seem like you're there. Or if you are, it doesn't seem like you're a very good God. And guess what? God listens, and God hears, and God is okay with those questions being asked. He can handle it. Once again, God not only permits, but he invites us to be painfully honest as we process these hard things, because it's the first step towards trusting him through our lament and and through our pain. There's a, a song called Young, Dumb, and Broke, and it probably could have characterized or symbolized a lot of my, my early years as a young adult. I got married when I was 19, and probably all three of those things were true. Broke definitely was. As we were preparing to get married, I remember my parents were like throwing away silverware, and I'm like, wait, that's a fork. I could use that. And I love playing basketball, as I talk about from time to time. And so I was playing in a game, and I landed on someone's foot, and my ankle popped, and it was not good. And they carried me off. And then I was too young and dumb and broke to do anything about it. I just waited a couple months till I could walk again. It's really smart. I'm paying for that now, because the left leg still doesn't work. I was young, dumb, and broke. I didn't want to deal with the deductible and the coinsurance or copay and all of that insurance language. So I just didn't. And as a result, it never got better. What's interesting is if I would have went to the doctor, I would have had an x-ray, and it probably would have indicated some things. If you break a bone, then they give you a cast, maybe after having to set it and, and put it in its proper structure. And then there's this time of protection for it to heal. And then after that, a time of therapy for it to regain strength. It's the same in any context of our lives, not just physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever trauma, pain, or brokenness is faced. If you walk on a, a broken leg continually, that's really dumb because it only gets worse. And when you do decide to try to make it better, it's gonna be harder and take longer. It's the same in any aspect of our lives. What's funny is we often try to just suck it up and tough it out and keep going. And that only makes things worse. The good news as we follow Jesus is we're never broke. We might be young, might be dumb, probably are, but you're never broke. You don't have to worry about paying for God's counseling. You don't have to worry about how you're going to, uh, if he's going to accept you. You just walk right up to God. You bring the worst, the hardest questions, the most painful ones, whatever it is. And he goes, I'm here. And I hear. And I'll be there. And one day, you will be able to say those words. Once again, God was faithful. But it has to start with acknowledging the pain and brokenness. If we skip that step, we're not gonna get to the healing and restoration he has. Biblically, uh, God not only permits, but he invites us to be painfully honest as the first step towards trusting him. We continue in uh, 
verse 10 through 12. This kind of symbolizes the gap and a little bit of a, a turn here. Here's what the psalmist says. I will remember, or excuse me, so I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. He's kind of blaming God here. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. There's something really critical happening here. The psalmist is saying, my pain, this hurt, this brokenness is real, and God's faithfulness is real. He does not have to choose one or the other. Both are truths to be held in his hands at the same time. In the midst of the gap from brokenness and pain to God's restoration and faithfulness to his promises, we have to hold on to both truths. It's an error to pretend that the pain and brokenness isn't real or that it's less severe than it is. And it's an error to not rehearse the truth. Remind yourself that God is faithful. He always has been and he always will be. In the midst of our own or others' brokenness and pain, the extent to which we're honest about the brokenness and pain mirrors the extent to which God is going to work and move. But it has to start with us just being vulnerable and real and honest about it. Continue in verses uh, 13 through 20. Now you're going to see that the psalmist is reminding himself of what God has done. Notice this too. He's not just throwing out some hopes. He's throwing out real historical things that have happened. He's remembering the moments that God has been faithful to carry him through the moments now when he needs God to be faithful. Beginning in verse 13, God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Sounds good. Sounds like he trusts God, has a lot of faith. He feels good about who God is in this moment. I'm really curious, though, how many seconds it was before he had just said, will the Lord reject forever? And never show a favor again? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Like, was that 17 seconds? Was it 17 minutes, 17 days? How long went from that paragraph to this paragraph where he's remembering? He can hold both of those truths in his hands. We can both say, this is brutal, and God, I don't know what the heck you're doing. I don't understand. And I've seen you work, and I've seen you be faithful, so do it again. He continues in verse 16. The water saw you, God. The water saw you. They trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Our God is strong and powerful. Verse 18, the sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the great waters, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's describing the exodus When God's people, his family, were enslaved and oppressed and abused in Egypt, and God provided. When they lamented and God heard and listened, then there was this journey. There were moments when God's people trusted him. And then they went through this cycle. And they take steps back. And then they take steps forward and they trust and steps back. And we go through that cycle too, don't we? 
The, the good news in this is not that we're really faithful. It's that he is always faithful. In uh, last week's practice, if you're in one of our practice groups, in the, the booklet, there were four steps laid out from this, this book, uh, Dark Clouds and, and Deep Mercy, that I love. I like simple things because I'm kind of simple. And so there's these four steps that I think are really helpful to understand how to go through this process of lament. And we see the psalmist doing that here. Number one, turn to God. Address him boldly because we know that we're loved. And when you do address him, bring your complaints. So this is a repeat from last week. If you're in one of our practice groups, we're allowed to complain to God. Now, is that supposed to last forever? No, but we'll get to that. Step three, ask boldly. Don't just complain. There's nothing worse than somebody that just complains with no solution. So God doesn't want that either. We can complain, and then we're supposed to ask boldly. Say, God, bring about your justice. What does human the way we were made to be look like in this moment? God, bring that about. We request boldly to the Father that loves us and is capable. And then, sometimes this is the hard part, choose to trust. After we've come before him, we've brought our complaints, and then we've made bold requests for the future that we were made for, we go, I don't know when it happens or how it happens or what you're going to do, but I trust you. There's four steps, and we see the psalmist take that. And sometimes we cycle through those. We have to go back to step one and two and three and four, but throughout that process, little by little, slowly but surely, we're moved from the pain and brokenness through the gap to God's restoration and healing and peace and comfort. And through it all, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. I was processing this week. The first three chapters of the scripture lay the foundation for everything we understand about God and earth and who we're supposed to be as humans in this world. And in chapter three, Satan, in the form of the serpent, whispers all kinds of lies and manipulation and deceits to Adam and Eve, and they listen. I wonder what would have happened, though, if they didn't just accept what Satan said, and they just asked him kind of an interesting thought I've never had. The only options I've ever considered are they could have obeyed or disobeyed. They obviously disobeyed. They chose to believe Satan instead of God. What if there was a third option, though? What if they didn't have to do either in the moment? I imagine, and I'm kind of just making this up, it says that God walked with uh, Adam and Eve in the, the cool of the day, right? When, when the sun went down and it was the sunset, God would have these walks with them. So maybe Satan showed up at like 4 p.m., like at the hot part of the day when they're kind of miserable and he whispered these lies and they accepted. What if, though, they just waited until they had this walk with God during the sunset and they didn't say, God, we chose to follow you. We have it together. What if instead they went, God, I don't understand. This is what I just heard about you. And my head says it can't be true because of what you've told me. But my heart feels like maybe it is true. Are you holding something back? Do you have a different plan? This doesn't even make sense to me. Why can't I eat this fruit when you've promised everything else is good? I don't understand. I have some questions. What do you think his response would have been? I think he would have told him the truth. The good thing about this is that we can still choose that option. Sometimes it isn't only disobey or obey, right or wrong. We can go, God, I don't understand. Because he not only 
permits us to ask those hard questions, but he encourages us. He doesn't say, figure it all out and make sure you're not too emotional and needy before you show up. He just says, come as you are, where you are, whatever you're going through, and I will meet you right there. Choosing to trust can sometimes just mean choosing to ask, choosing to proclaim, here I am, God. I don't understand. Here's my complaints. I ask boldly that you move forward and provide, bring justice, human the way you're made to be. But through all of that, whatever it looks like, I choose to trust you. During our uh, staff meeting on Tuesday, we have our, our staff meetings, and we frequently have what I would like to refer to as healthy, heated discussions. <laughs> I'm a, a big believer that if you don't have healthy, heated discussions, nothing good happens. There's, no, there's nothing good produced in life without some stress and conflict, the healthy kind, though. And, and so we had one of those about the song we sang last week, It Is Well. And Part of the reason is, is this. I sat over there uh, on those seats, and, and with many of you last Sunday, I sang this song, It Is Well, and I meant it, and I believed it, and it felt good to be unified with a bunch of people in one room proclaiming this truth. It was good. And that song kind of continued to, to ring in my head, and I went home, and I sat on this little blue lawn chair on my driveway, and the song was still in my head, and I was singing it. But then I kind of changed the lyrics part of the way through as I was reflecting on some things that had happened in life and that were still influencing. And instead of singing, it is well with my soul, I started to sing, it is not well with my soul. It is not well. And over time, I got a little bit more angry and bitter. And I said, God, no, it really is not well. Matter of fact, I don't understand this, and I don't like it, and it's not right, and it's not good. Why would you do this? And I don't know how to deal with the next part of it either. Maybe you've been in a season like that, or you're there now, or maybe you will be in one. You know what God's response is to that? It's okay. I hear you. You can bring those complaints. You can blame me. We can have that talk. I can handle it. The, the heated discussion that we had, well, it was really about two things. One, what does it mean when we say or sing, it is well? And two, when do we need to say that? Does it need to be like one second after the pain and brokenness? Okay, that happened. It is well. Does it need to be a minute, a day, a year, 10 years? How long do we have before we have to make that transition? And then what does it mean? If it means I'm just good with it, there's no problem. Matter of fact, this is best. Then I'm not interested in singing the words to those songs or to that song. It as well doesn't mean it is best. It as well means I've come before the Almighty Father. I've declared that I don't like this and it's not best and it's not good. I've brought my complaints. I've asked God to work in the midst of it. And then step number four, I choose to trust. It as well means I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do next, but I know the one who does and I'm loved by him too. So it's okay to embrace wherever you're at in that journey from the pain and brokenness to the gap to God's faithful promises being fulfilled. You might be at the end of that stage and you're looking back at something and you can sing it as well fully. By that you mean it really is well. You see what God was doing and how he prevailed. And he always does. 
Maybe you're dead in the middle of it, and yesterday you could sing it as well, and today sounds more like it is not well. That's okay. Maybe you're at the beginning, or you're about to step into suffering or pain, or maybe someone you know is in the midst of it, and then you can join them in this corporate type of lament, which we'll talk about next week. It's okay. We need to be honest. The more honest we are, the more open we are to embracing the love and healing of the Father. It's good news. Every single one of us who are following Jesus will indeed say, once again, Jesus was faithful. And then we'll say again, once again, Jesus was faithful. And right now it might not feel like it, but I promise you if you're following Jesus, you will say once again, Jesus was faithful. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you suffered on our behalf in every way, physically, emotionally, relationally. You suffered, Father. You suffered, Jesus. And so we are not alone. You've experienced what we experience. You are with us and for us. God, I pray that you would free us from the lies of the enemy, free us to embrace your love, to be honest with you, to know that we will be accepted just as we are because you are love. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, lead us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to praise now in song, and we're going to sing it as well, however you need to sing it. But we're also going to respond and worship by taking communion. And as you take, uh, the elements are on either side of me on these tables, the, the bread symbolizing the body of Jesus and the cup symbolizing his blood. Know that there was a moment Jesus cried out to the Father in brutal, honest agony. He said, I don't want to do this. I don't like the plan. But your will be done, not mine. And then there was a moment as he hung on a cross, giving up his body and his blood for our sake, that he cried out these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then there was a moment when he rose from the grave. And because of all of those things, we can know this, that you are never alone, whether you're in the midst of the pain and brokenness, you're somewhere in the gap, or you're getting through it, Jesus is with you and he's alive and well. And you never, ever, ever have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took that so we never have to. He is always with us. His power is alive and well. And we're reminded of that and united to him as we take communion. So during this uh, response time, whether you take it as an individual, with the friends you came with, with some people you don't even know that you prayed with before, your family, whoever it is, remember that he is with us always, whatever season we're in, mourning or celebration, as we practice lament, he is good, he is with you, and he is for you. Let's continue to worship him together now. As we look back at the psalmists, um, David being one of them, he was so profound at the way he could communicate brokenness, frustrations, questions, concerns, worries, anxieties, and present them before the Lord. And then the turn, the moment where he would be able to grab a hold of the hope, the truth of who God is, and knowing that 
even in this circumstance, he is still trustworthy. And I love um, how Landon brought up our time as a staff as we navigated and wrestled through it as well. What does that mean? What does that look like for us? Is it okay to not be well within our soul in certain seasons? And is that sin? Um, or is that a part of the lamenting process as we bring these concerns, frustrations, um, anxieties, fears before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and allow him and him alone to sort through it because he is the one who leads us and heals us and restores us. And through that, we're able to look back and go, man, in all of this, it is well with my soul. Those things were not good. They were not okay. I don't agree with them. God, I see that you're moving. I see that you're working and have a posture of humility and compassion, um, a posture of submission before a king who is above all things and really is in authority over all things. And so um, learning what it means for us as a body of Christ to trust Jesus always, no matter the moment. So once again, if this is your first time joining Restoration Church um, via our teaching podcast, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to join us. And um, again, my name is Nate Huss, one of the pastors here. And until next time, remember, Jesus truly is the only one who is trustworthy always. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.